going to continue our never-ending series called Church Unleashed. In fact, we might be changing the name of the church to just Church Unleashed. And so some of you guys would like that because you're tired of saying the numbers, uh, but that's, that's all right. Church Unleashed, part four. Uh, Acts chapter 3, this has been our text, you should have it almost memorized by now, verse 9 and 10, it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This has been the the scripture that we've pulled in the the entirety of this series is that there was a man who had been, he, he had been lame from birth, who was now jumping around praising God. Friends, that life change should be the description, the description, paragraph, sentence of the church. That I was once blind, but now I see. I was once crippled, now I walk. I was once lost, now I'm found. This, this should be the trumpeted sound of the church. It shouldn't be about branding. It shouldn't be about the name. It shouldn't be about the building. It shouldn't be about the pastor. It shouldn't be about the leadership. It really should be. If you boil the church down, it should be about people who have met a loving Jesus and were once one way and are now a different way. And when we talk about the church unleashed, we're really talking about the church getting back to its original intent. The church should be unleashed. We've talked about uh, how the church over the, over the years has become domesticated. It's become tamed. And uh, I've, I've been using the example of, of the zoo. And you go to the zoo and you look at wild animals in safe environments. Wild animals that were once or, or have been instinctually designed to hunt for themselves, to fend for themselves, to provide for themselves, who are now been domesticated to a place where they now rely on others for food, for shelter, for provision. This is what's happened over the years with the church. The church is supposed to be wild. The church should be unpredictable. You should be, some of, you, some of y'all are just already like a little bit like, wow, this church is loud. This is, not, this is nothing compared to what the church of Jesus Christ should be. It should be loud. It should be wild. It should have life. It should have some mess. There should be some craziness. I remember in youth ministry, I, I, I was, uh, we had a service uh, one time. We were over in the small building, and, and uh, we had hundreds of kids packed in there. And uh, it's crazy to think about rooms that were packed. Like before COVID, I mean, like literally, we're like, uh, you left with other people's sweat on you. I mean, that's how it was. And uh, we pack in there, and, and they're worshiping. And, and uh, this, this kid came up to me afterwards. He's like, Pastor Dustin. I said, yeah, man. He goes, man, what was that? I'm like, bro, I think, I think that's the power of God, man. Like, that's just the presence of God. He's like, that's effing awesome. <laughs> Some of my staff were like, whoa, whoa, security. Ah! You know, we got, and, and I'm like, you know what? That's, that's awesome. That is awesome. To have enough mess where someone doesn't know whether they should say something or not. Now, some of y'all have been saved a long time, and y'all need to clean it up, all right? Uh, you have no excuse. Uh, this guy was fresh. Some of you are like, I told you, honey, it's okay for me to say. Stop it. I've been saved for 25 years. There should be an element of mess. In the church of Jesus Christ, it should be undomesticated. It should be untamed. If you can predict it every week, friends, that's boring. 
The church of Jesus Christ should be un- unleashed. Unleashed. Acts chapter 8. There's a scripture, a passage that I want to read to you. Eight, chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, isn't this how God speaks sometimes? It's like, where do you want me to go? You know, go down to that road. You know that road, that desert road, down south, at least. Like, where? This is how God speaks to us usually. He, so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him in his chariot. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is the passage that he was reading. He's like, I need someone to explain this to me. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. In in this message about the church unleashed, I want to use two words that we use in the church that usually makes everyone get really tense. So just, just, just get ready. I, I want to talk about generosity and evangelism. Generosity and evangelism. It's two words in the church. It's like, can we talk about prosperity? Can we talk about blessing? Can we talk about evangelism and generosity? You know, it's interesting. Evangelism's kind of got a bad a bad word, bad name in the church. It has a bad reputation. It's probably for some of us that were growing up in the church that were forced in high school to do like door-to-door ministry. That's how I, I grew up doing like door-to-door witnessing, like knock on the door, you know, and, and, and then if they open the door, then you get to hear all kinds of expletives and all kinds of words about why you're bothering them at home. And I used to think, man, people are so mean. Until I got older and I have my own house, And if you knock on my door, I'm just going to tell you, I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you knock on my door, you're going to knock all day long. I'll never answer. <laughs> I never answer my door. This is true. I've never answered my door. I mean, it's literally, if, if you should be at my house, you can text me that you're there. But if you, don't, if, if, you, if you shouldn't be there and you're knocking, I mean, even the DoorDash guy, I think he throws the food and runs. You know, it's like, what are you here for? It's, we used to do this with evangelism, door-to-door witnessing. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And it was cool. We had good opportunities. We had awesome, you know, encounters. We had a lot of very frightening encounters. We made a lot of people mad. But I think that's the, the, the definition of evangelism that we walk through life with is forcing our gospel on someone else's life. And because that's uncomfortable for us, we have refrained from sharing our faith And we've really steered away from any type of evangelism and now reduced evangelism down to to church services, pastors, and altar calls. 
You know what Jesus said? His last words, the last charge is what we call the Great Commission, which is go into all the world and preach. Some of y'all are like, that's right. Get those preachers. Preach. No, you are the preacher. He's talking to us. He's talking to me and to you. Go into all the world and preach. Preach this gospel. Preach the good news about Jesus. And I'm worried that evangelism, because of its, because of its um, definition in our minds, we've now reduced it to just the organism of the church, to just work, to do it, to make it happen. And if you get come to church, then maybe you get saved. This is crazy, but I want you to think about this. When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Pause. Didn't invite them to church. I love that you invite them to church because anytime you invite someone to a church or to get online and watch this, we will present the gospel. So I think that's incredible. We, we, that is our commitment to you, that we will unapologetically preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you shared what Jesus did in you with someone else? Don't answer it because it might be embarrassing. Because when you think about it, sometimes... When you're saved for so long, you don't even have unsaved friends. We're not even, we don't even have a connection to, there's not even anyone to share Jesus with because we've so insulated ourselves and so we believe in godly community and we believe in these things. But friends, I'm telling you that if the world is going to see an awakening of the unleashed church, it's going to come through the awakening of Christians that really believe that Jesus did something in them and really changed their life, that he's really the answer, that he's really the way, the truth, and the life. I'm concerned that we've gotten too politically correct in the world that we live in and we just let everyone find the answer for themselves. Friends, if you don't give them the answer, they will find a answer. Because people are in need. The world is searching for love. The world is searching for power. The world is searching for answers. And the church is more politically correct than ever and letting everyone find whatever they find. In 1993, Barna Research, they did a study of Christians and they agreed that every Christian, 89% of Christians believed that every Christian has the responsibility to share their faith. Every, 89% of Christians believe that. 25 years later, they did another study, and that 89% dropped to 64%. Only 60%, 64% of Christians believe that it was their responsibility to share their faith. Almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. See, this is our current cultural understanding. I can share my faith with you as long as it's my faith and I don't have any expectation of you changing what you believe or what you think. It is now, now it's bigotry of me to share my faith with you with with the expectation that you will share what you think to think like I think. That is politically incorrect in the day that we live in. Unless you have the answer. Unless you're actually, you actually have a Jesus that's untamed and undomesticated. 
If you're just trying to compare thoughts or morality, if you're just trying to compare ethics, maybe it's wrong to push that on someone. But if someone is, is, is running or, or, or their life is leaning towards a Christless eternity, friends, it's love that shares hope with the expectation that someone might change. It's faith that believes that they could change their beliefs from thinking that there is no God and there is nothing out there to a loving Savior that came and died so that they could have life and that life to the full. Acts chapter 8 is a story of Philip the evangelist. Philip, who later became a deacon in one of the churches, and now he's listening to the Lord. On his journey. He is listening to the angel of the Lord, to the Spirit of God, as he moves across and through his life, and he is being generous with the gift that has been given to him. An unleashed church is a church that is wild in generosity. I mean, wow. And I know the minute you say generosity, people think money, but I'm not just talking about money. I am talking about money, but not just money. Money is just one part of generosity. Generosity is actually a condition of our heart. Generosity will show up in money because I'm a generous person, but it'll also show up in my words, in my love, in my, in my life. Generosity really is about sharing your life. It's, it's saying that none of this is for me. What God has given me, my time, my resources, my, my wisdom, my knowledge, my friends, my community, my family, my home, what God's entrusted to me, I'm now giving to others. That, that my life is a, is a you know, if you really want to have fulfillment in life, just start being generous. If you're feeling discouraged, go give something away. If you're feeling depressed, go serve someone. Go to Dream Center Dallas and hand out groceries. Go door to door in zero degree weather with like minus 18 wind chill and hand out. Watch what it does to your spirit. It'll change you. Our culture says insulate yourself. Hold on. Hoard. The gospel says give. Love. Serve. Be open. Luke chapter 10 verse 2 it says, he told them the harvest is plentiful. But the workers, you've heard this scripture before, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I want to just help you see this. Jesus doesn't say, pray that people will believe in me. He doesn't say, pray for souls. Pray for your grandfather to give his, pray for your son. He doesn't say any of that. He says, the fields are wide unto harvest. I need you to pray for workers. Think about this. Think how many times we've prayed for lost people to find Jesus. And Jesus is saying, do you know what you really need to be praying? You need to be praying that someone will go and tell them. Because the world is searching for the answer. What we have a lack of is not power, not answer. What we have a lack of is workers. Sharers, laborers, people who say and understand that the church should be unleashed, should be undomesticated, the church should be on fire. The church believes, but really believes in, in Jesus. Not just in a code of ethics or in a church or a brand, but they really believe. I once was lost. Do you remember 
what life was without Jesus. I like to talk to people sometimes and just remind them. Because I remember when people came into the church maybe for the first time, gave their life to Jesus, hated their life, suicidal, just, just depression, discouragement down every corner. And then they've walked with God for like six years and they're kind of in a rut. And they're saying, I don't know, you know, I just don't know about this whole thing. I don't know. And then we remember. Do you remember where you were? Because there's nothing that re-energizes your faith like remembering where you were before Jesus found you. When you remember how he found you, you remember how he moved through your life, you remember that grace, you remember that mercy, you remember that encounter, you remember that prayer. There's nothing to reinvigorate your faith like remembering how he found you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This has been my prayer in 2021 so far, is God, send us workers. Send us workers. Send us laborers. The harvest is ripe. People are searching. The world is looking. I was listening to a, a commentary from a secular social media influencer, and, and uh, she, was, she was saying that evangelical Christianity is declining at an alarming rate. Christians by the thousands are leaving the evangelical church. And you know what I believe? I, be I don't believe it's true. I believe that more than ever before, we're gathered to buildings and brands more than we are Jesus. But I believe that the world's more hungry than ever. Her point was that the, the world is not hungry for a savior anymore. That they're not searching. It's not true. The world, friends, is searching. And we have the answer. We have, I, I, I want to I just break down evangelism through this passage and through this story. Because I think many of you, maybe like I've had, is when you think about evangelism, it's just daunting. You think about telling someone something that they don't want to hear. And I want to give you this story in Acts chapter 8 because Philip is being led by the Lord. Verse 26, it said, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, we know from the story that Philip was supposed to go talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's supposed to go have a conversation, open the gospel to him. Why does the angel of the Lord say, hey, I want you to go down south, down south to the desert road, the desert road that leads to Gaza. Now, I'm going to tell you how I follow Jesus, all right? When God speaks something like that to me, I would be like, God must be taking me to Gaza. Right? I'm drawing conclusions in my mind. Because he said, go down to that one road, that, down, that road down south, the desert road, the one that goes to Gaza. Okay, God, you're taking me to Gaza. If Philip would have went to Gaza, he would have missed the Ethiopian eunuch. So I'm going I'm to help you with something. God doesn't speak in destinations. This is going to help your career. This is going to help your marriage. If you're single, this is going to really help your married life. God doesn't speak in destinations. Oh, I met him. The destination is we're married. No, no. God speaks in direction which is called steps. He says, go down south to the desert road, the road that leads to Gaza. As Philip began to follow the voice of the Lord, God was positioning him and posturing him for the encounter he was about to have with the Ethiopian eunuch. If, if you're not careful when you're following God, you will assume an outcome on what he's speaking to you and you'll miss the opportunity that he has waiting for you. If you assume what God's trying to do and how he's trying to move and what he's trying to say, you can miss. You have to follow Jesus step by step. The Bible says tomorrow has enough worries of its own. 
We, we got to stay right here in today. What is God asking you to do today? So Philip goes and he, and he follows the direction of the Lord. Assumed outcomes equal missed opportunities. Right steps equal right destination. Wrong steps equal wrong destination. So Philip is following the Lord, and there's, there's four things I want to give you as Philip is, is, has this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And the first thing is in verse 27, it says, so he started out. The angel told him where to go, so he started out. So this is starting power. If you're going to be used by God, if you're going to live a life that's unleashed, you are going to have to be committed to starting, which means you got to get moving. You, you have to move and address. You know how many people I talk to, and they're just waiting to figure it all out until they do anything for God? There's wait. I'm just waiting. Some people do this with business. They're just waiting for just the golden opportunity to slap them in the face. Listen, you, you've got to move. My dad used to say you can't steer a parked car. You, you've got to move. Move in a direction. I don't know what direction to move. Be committed to listening to the voice and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if he says go south, then just go south. If he says, go to the road that leads to Gaza, don't run to Gaza thinking that he told you to start a business in Gaza, marry a woman in Gaza. Stop. Just go to the road that leads step by step. But you have to get started. Jesus, 10 lepers came to him, and it says that he told them to go and show themselves to the priest. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. As, As they went... The power of God usually works in progress. I, I like to have all the answers and all the strategy and all the money and all the before we move. Wouldn't that be nice? It's like, I've told you the story about the Dream Center. It would be so nice if God just brought all the provision first and then said step. He didn't do that. He said step. So we had to step in uncertainty. We had to step in the middle of opposition. We had to step in some like really frightening situations, wondering how is this going to happen? What God, what is, how is God going to meet these needs? And every single month, God somehow comes alongside us and meets the needs because he's moving as we're moving. God will move as you move. God will direct you as you commit to begin to take a step. So Philip had starting power, but he also had, I want you to listen to this, he had staying power. They're different. You've got to get started, but you also have to be patient. In verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Listen to the directions. I would be frustrated. If I'm Philip, I'm like, God, here's the deal. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me who and tell me where. All right? He says, I want you to go to the road. You know that desert road, the one that leads to Gaza. All right. Now I want you to go to that chariot. See that chariot? Go to that chariot and stay near it. The next verse says he ran to the chariot. So I don't know if the chariot was moving or it was sitting. But, you know, Philip's like, all right, God, I'm here. I'm next to the chariot. Stay there. Cool. What else should I do? Just stay. I'm tired. He just, he just stays. When God tells you to go somewhere, to connect with someone, to do something, there has to be a commitment in your heart that it's not your timeline, it's his timeline. So God, you told me to stay, I'm going to stay. You told me to plant, I'm going to plant. You told me to believe, so I'm going to believe. 
I was talking to a pastor this week, and, and uh, someone had given him a, like a prophetic word about something that was going to happen, and uh, some series of events happened, and the prophecy didn't come true. And he said, man, I, I guess that guy doesn't, I guess that guy's like a false prophet. And I said, just be careful that you didn't take the, the prophetic word from this man of God and put your timeline on it, because it'll look like a wrong prophecy if it's put on your calendar. You got to make sure you put God's words on God's calendar. If you put your calendar over God's promises, you, you could be in some big trouble. This is why God told him to stay. He was posturing him for the miracle. He was positioning him for the breakthrough. You know, God loves to do this. He likes to position us for breakthrough. We like breakthrough. God likes to position us for breakthrough. And most people never get the breakthrough because they can't stay with the chariot long enough. People can't, people can't stay with a, with, with, with a, with a ooh, I was, ooh, gotta be careful what I say up here. It's first service, it was crazy, people, a lot of people watch. People can't stay with the church very long. People can't stay with a spouse very long. People can't, no staying power. No, sta- no, no staying power. People can't stay with the commitment very long. It's February, snowy, New Year's resolution to get in shape, you know, but like the snow. It never snows in Texas. It's a sign. I shouldn't go to the gym. The gym was closed. I mean, staying power. You, you, you got to have some, I know there's all kinds of situations. I'm not, all I'm talking about is the commitment to stay with what God told you to stay. There are times to leave. There are times to move. There are seasons to go and not to go. And we'll hear this in the story. But you also have to know, if God told you to stay, don't put your timeline on God's promise and decide you need to go before it's time to go. Staying power. Many people start but don't have the tenacity to stay. Let me ask you this. Can you stay when nothing happens? Oh, yeah. You want me to go? Sure, God. You want me to stay by this chair? Yeah. Now, what's supposed to happen? Nothing's happening. God, that wasn't you. Who was that? Where am I? What am I doing? Forget it. I'm mad at you, God, because I got to the chariot and nothing happened. He didn't tell you anything was going to happen. He told you to go get by the chariot. So my answer is yes, sir. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. I don't understand it, but I'm going to stay where you told me to stay. So stay in power, but you also have to have sitting power. Now this is what happened. God positioned him next to the chariot. This is awesome. He's like, you know, he's doing his thing. And I hate this job, God. I'm by the chariot. I'm by the chariot. And it says, the Ethiopian eunuch said to him, he spoke to Philip, who's by his chariot, and he says, how can I understand this scripture unless someone explains it to me? And listen to what he does. He invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, I'm going to help you with evangelism. Because evangelism is about direction, not destination. Evangelism about listening to the voice of God on who you should connect with and when you should connect with them. Evangelism is about listening to that still small voice and understanding that I have to get moving. So I have to be in community. I have to have relationship. I can't live my life as a hoarder. I've got to, get, I've got to be generous with my life. I have to be generous with my time. I have to be generous with my relationships. And so I have to have starting power. I just got to, I got to be in connection with people. I have to have staying power. 
Because most of us, our only aim for evangelism is to seal the deal and get out. But the body of Christ should work together in unity. So my aim should not be to convert someone so I can check a checklist and leave them. My aim should be to introduce them to a loving Savior, Jesus, and now we get to walk together. Does this make sense? This is why evangelism's gotten a bad name because we're trying to make numbers of how many people have said yes to Jesus at altars and we've forgotten that when they meet this Jesus, they need a family to walk with. This is what we're trying to build as a church is not a bunch of numbers and checks on the checkboard, but a community of people that have had a realization and an encounter that Jesus is the savior of the world. I was searching for something and I found it in him. And now I need someone to walk with. I, I, get, I get scared of certain people that call themselves evangelists. That are never willing to walk with anyone. But they'll debate you in a second. If you're debating someone, I would, I, I would, I would propose to you you're not an evangelist. You're a debater. No, I'm an evangelist because I can win any argument. You can win an argument and lose their soul. If you say you're an online evangelist or a social media evangelist, you might have all kinds of fruit in your life. I'm just telling you, I don't really like that type of evangelism. Because I see what Philip did is that he stayed with the Ethiopian eunuch until he was invited in. And when he was invited in, he sat with him. Jamie and I, we see a, a counselor. She introduced us to a marriage counselor to see if he could change my mind on some things. And, and uh, just joking. And why, why is that? I didn't expect that to be that funny, guys. Uh, and so we, he, he's incredible. And, and one of the first things that he, that he taught us, taught me, is he said, Dustin, you have to learn how to see her. If you listen to James' last podcast, you heard this. Is it's, it's, it's a little practice he does. I see you. I see you. Intensive care unit. Also, I-S-E-E. -E, I see you. And so Jamie will say something, how she feels, and I will fix it in like 0.3 seconds. That's, that's how amazing I am at this. I'm just like, <laughs> just like can you imagine? Like, you, like she, she's so lucky. She gives me a problem, 0.2 seconds. Here's the strategy. Here's how you fix it. Here's how you can never feel like that again. Second service. Uh, it's, and he's like, Dustin, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is wrong. This is bad. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, she is lucky. Like, you got a, you got a problem? I told the therapist. You got a problem? Tell me. I'll fix it. I got the strategy, man. Like, I'll, I'll, your, your business, it's great. You got 37 counselors underneath you. Why, why not 137? Why don't you? you I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a strategy. I'm trying to help him. He says, you don't know how to sit with her. I'm sitting right now. Actually, I'm getting tired because it's already been an hour and we're paying you a lot of money. And he says, you need to learn how to sit. Well, I don't know. I want to fix. And this is where evangelism has gone wrong in America. We're trying to fix people instead of sitting with them. Did you know evangelism doesn't have to be confrontational? It doesn't have to be. Brace for the, you know, whatever. 
can I pray with you? Jesus is the way. We go in and we have a debate. We talk about once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. Come on. Sit with them. That means whatever they, now this is interesting. Where did he sit? Not in Philip's house. He sat in the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. So he sat where he sat. He didn't, you know, that this is what we do. Well, I want you to come into my environment. I want you to come to my church and then we'll convince you. What are we doing? If he's the answer, if you're confident he's the answer, if it really works, it'll work in their environment too. He sat where he sat. What if they're sitting in a bunch of bitterness and church hurts? Sit with them. Oh, that must, that must hurt. That must be hard. But you work at the church and now you're defensive. Why would you ever say that about that? They're hurt. Can you sit with them in that? And this is my problem that I told the therapist this. I said, I will not sit in something I do not believe in. So if Jamie says, hypothetically, I feel like you're being a little mean or a little intense. There is no way on God's green earth I'm sitting with that because it's wrong, it's incorrect, and I will not partner with a lie of the devil. He said, Dustin, you don't have to sit with the lie. You have to sit with the feeling. All right. Sit with the feeling. Let me just ask you a question. Before you debate someone, can you sit with them? I know I harp on social media a lot, but before you, I just have never seen such ugliness in Christianity as I do on social media. Why? Why? Why Why do we have to debate this stuff? Why don't you sit with someone? Did you know if you sat with them, you would actually have entrance in their life and you wouldn't have to start, keep on force feeding them your perspective and they would invite, he said, come and get in. And explain to me. When was the last time someone said, can you explain this Jesus to me? When was the last time someone said on social media, man, your thoughts, your life looks amazing. Can you explain how it, no, because we're out front with it. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what we're doing. Let me tell you why you're terrible because you didn't. Have you sat with anyone? I want to redefine evangelism in 2021 by saying it's not about shoving Jesus down their throat. It's about giving them the Jesus that they actually want and they're actually looking for, but packaging it in a way that is not you taking them over. It's them inviting you in. This is what's really interesting. This struck me this week. He says he invited him to sit with him. So you have to have sitting power. Can you sit with him? Can you join him? But this is what's really interesting. Do you have speaking power? Speaking power. This is what the text says in verse 35. It says, then Philip began. I want you to see where he started. He began with that very passage of scripture. And he told them the good news about Jesus. Now watch this. He didn't start with what his favorite scripture was. He didn't start with what... We do the same stuff. Give people the same lines. He started where he was. Well, you know, you're 35. You should be about here. No, he didn't didn't do any of that. This guy is an Ethiopian eunuch. This guy is in his chariot. This guy works for the queen. I mean, this dude dude has some, some pedigree. But he can't read Isaiah. We don't even know how he got Isaiah. That's odd in that day that he actually was reading the, a scroll of Isaiah. He has it. 
He says, I need someone to help me with this. Would have been easier for Philip to be going, let me tell you about, let me tell you about Jesus, this guy. I was one of his disciples, man. I walk with him. He started right where he was. Evangelism becomes effective when you don't push your new theological thought, but you start where they are. Where are they at? Start there. Where, where are they sitting? What are they in? Start right there. If we did this as a church, can you imagine what would happen if the city knew you, if your, if your workplace knew you, not as the preacher, but as the one that would sit with them, join with them, and show them. Show them Jesus. Show them kindness. Show them love. When did the fruit of the Spirit become like the weak thing to have? Oh, really? So, so, so gentle. My gosh. But so much self-control. Like, what, do you, what do you have? I've been moved this week by thinking about how many people are we sitting with, sharing with, and do you have speaking power? Which means this, when they open their life to you, can you speak to where they are at? Not what you do or what you want. Can you speak to where they are at? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can you hear without someone preaching to them? So this is where the church does one of two things. It's always either or, and it needs to be smashed into the middle, like on all the topics that we talk about. It's either or. It's, oh yeah, you need to sit and join them. Oh, I love that message, pastor. I've been trying to tell everybody this. We gotta sit with them. Let's just sit with them. If you sit with them, and you do not speak to them. You are only joining in their condition and enabling it to continue. The sitting is to join in their pain so that their heart opens so that you can speak. So we have speakers and we have sitters and the speakers, they don't, they don't sit with anybody, they're just ready. They're just right. Let me tell you why you're wrong and why you're going to hell. I love Jesus. You're still going to hell. Let me tell you why. You're going to get saved my way. You're going to. People are crazy. The way they talk. I mean, it's like the way pastors talk about other pastors, it's crazy. It's like I, I was getting sent messages during COVID of pastors calling other pastors cowards because they weren't running their church like they were. It's like, what are we doing? Friendly fire. Friendly fire. We're on the same team. Trying to do the same thing. You live in a different part of the world than me. Please stop. You don't even know me. Oh yeah, if, if they're doing this, they're a coward. They're a, whoa. Speakers, not sitting with anybody. So we got passive people that are sitting. We got passionate people that are speaking. And we got nobody getting saved. So we have to merge the lifestyle and the mission of Jesus to sit and to join and have compassion, but then to also have the answer for the faith and the hope that lies within us and to tell them, you know why I can sit with you and join with you? You know why I'm not like I used to be? It's because Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. Jesus set me free. I was going nowhere. I was discouraged. I was depressed, but Jesus met me. Friends, that speaking... 
has so much power in a life that's inviting you to speak into it. And how do you get the invitation? You get the invitation by sitting with them. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Some of you are saying, how can God use me? How can I make a difference? What did Jesus do for you? That's all you need. I don't know all the theological thoughts. I'm telling you that sometimes that gets in the way. In fact, Jesus said it's better to have faith like a child. Faith like a child. Faith like a child. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I love this in the message. It says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. Look at this. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others and you'll prompt people to open up with God. I want to close with this thought is that if we're going to be an unleashed church, we have to be generous. You never thought generosity and evangelism were the same thing. It actually is. The truest form of evangelism is the generosity of the comfort that God's given us, extending it to someone else. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that I didn't earn salvation. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough, but Jesus knew I wouldn't be enough, and he died, and he covered my sin, and he covered my mistakes. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come, and now the rest of my life I get to be generous with this comfort that I was lost, but now I'm found. This is evangelism. It's walking in life with people and having relationship, and as they open up to you and as they invite you in, having something to say and sharing that powerful testimony. Friends, the gospel doesn't need to be defended. The gospel needs to be released, and if you release the gospel, it'll work on its own. If you release the good news, it'll work on its own. If you didn't know this, the whole world is looking for good news. Looking for good news. I'm going to ask at every campus, if you would, just stand up with me. I'm going to have our campus pastors come and close in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to lead you like Philip. And I want to I give you one challenge. One challenge this week. I'm not even going to challenge you. Go share your faith with five people. This is my one challenge. I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to someone that he's asking you to stay beside. Years ago, just moved to Texas about 12 years ago, I was playing softball. Playing softball at a tournament in Euless, softball world. And I met Keon Bird. And I sensed the Holy Spirit said, stay next to him. 
And we started walking together. He didn't know as a pastor. I didn't, I don't, I don't usually lead with that. Hey, what's your name? It's Reverend Bates to you. We just became friends. I just, just stayed with him. You know what's crazy is he started to invite me in. Came, church, rededicated his life to the Lord. His family came. I didn't ditch him now that we got the chip. We become great friends. Then he's working in corporate America, and God calls him out of corporate America to come work at the church, take a 60% salary cut, come work at the church, leave his great job, sell his Corvette, which I wanted to keep that part, but whatever. Come work. What happened? That's just evangelism. That's just evangelism. When the, when the goal is conquest, we miss it. When the goal is given bread to someone that's hungry or water to someone that's thirsty so that we can walk together and enjoy this life and enjoy our Savior. Friends, it changes the world. That is an unleashed church. Is a church that says, let's walk together. I'm with you. We can walk beside. I'm, sometimes I'm going to need you in my chariot. Sometimes I'm going to need to be in yours, but we're going to walk together and I'm going to give you an answer for the hope that lies within me. I'm going to share this good news, the good news of the gospel. I'm not talented. I'm not educated. I've just been comforted. And I can share the same comfort that Jesus gave me with you. And when you do that, lives will change. Cities will be shaken. The world will flip upside down. Revival will shake America. And it's not going to be with a forceful demonstration of the gospel. It's going to be with unleashed Christians who sit with people and speak for Jesus.